0: This is Gilbert Gottfried. And this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here with my co host, Frank Santo Padre. We're once again recording at Nutmeg. You said the wrong title. <laughs> and thank you. And and our guest was Steve Stolier. Thanks. It was great. I had I mean, a great thank time. Thank you. You'll have to come back. It, and you know, the time just <laughs> no, the, flew by.
1: The time just, it, it's like I just sat down. Wow!
0: <laughs> See, when you have a great interview, oh, it goes man,
1: so it just quick. melts away. <laughs> the leads of the calendar blowing away.
2: <laughs> Thanks for making the schlep, by the way, Steve. We appreciate it. Here we go again.
0: I'm Gilbert Gottfried, and this is take 47 of trying to introduce this one short recording. Hi, I'm Gilbert Gottfried, and I'm here with my co-host Frank Santopadre, and this is Gilbert and Frank's Amazing, colossal obsession. Indeed, it is. And uh, we have a return guest, someone who stayed at the home of legendary comedian Yakov Smirnoff. <laughs> no, you got the I wrong comedian.
1: It was. <laughs> In my country, the legendary
0: comedian stay at your house. <laughs> <laughs> nice ad lib. Now, we have Steve Stoliar. Yes, who uh, wrote the book Raised Eyebrows? Uh, my my years inside Groucho's house, where he lived with the uh, legendary comedian Groucho Marx. He did. Steve, welcome back.
1: Thanks. Yes, by popular demand, as as Dick Cavett would say, a letter poured in requesting Stolyer. <laughs>
2: Well, we 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 got letters from from uh, the young people demanding more Nat Perrin,
1: more Nat Perrin. Okay, okay, this is only going to take about eight minutes. Okay, go.
0: <laughs> I came out to California in 1931, and Groucho took me to a party where George Gershwin was appearing, and he said, George. This is Nat Perrin, the only fellow I know who can whistle the entire rhapsody in blue, and I was afraid I was going to have to whistle for seventeen minutes. But Mister Gershwin didn't put me through that.
2: That is, that is a stunning. You, if you closed your eyes, you yeah. Swear I, I thought was...
0: I thought he was in the room. I Nat eyes. Perrin was in the booth. <laughs> can you do a Nat Pendleton? <laughs> Nat Pendleton's and horse feathers. Yes. He's one of the kidnappers. I, I, yes.
1: No, I'm sorry. I can't do Nat Pendleton. I will tell
2: you, you, I went back and listened to the, the, the previous episode. Your, uh, your Burgess Meredith was also
1: something to behold. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes. Well, we got into all sorts of things dealing with of mice and men. You remember that? You were Lenny and I was Squiggy. I mean, I was George.
0: (laughs) Uh, Tell me again how how we're going to have a farm with rabbits on it.
1: That's right, that's right. Uh, Rabbits, and we'll have our own place. And when people come to visit us, if we don't want them there, uh, we tell them to leave. And they have to
0: leave. (laughs) (laughs) He does both parts. He doesn't need you.
1: (laughs) You ever notice that Cheney Jr. is like a car that won't turn over? <laughs> I get to tend him. And you can tell him from me. Anyway, your Nat Perrin, your Burgess Meredith, and your Yes. I live for. Peep. People stop me on the street and say, "Come on, do your Grady Sutton impression." <laughs> <laughs> <Do that. laughs> oh, Mister say you made me buy a beefsteak mine. I should never have listened to you. So, yes,
2: back to raised eyebrows for a minute. Yes, sir. There's an
1: audio version now
2: since last week. So to I you. hear.
1: Yes, I recorded it uh, uh, a while ago, and it's finally available on disc on uh, on Amazon and. On it, I not only do all the narration, but I do all of the voices of the people that I talk about. So you get to hear the aforementioned Mr. Perrin and and uh, S.J. Perelman and George Burns and Bob Hope. But and you do Aaron. Zippo. You have to do Aaron's voice, too. I have to do Aaron's voice, too. Groucho, this is Steve Stoliar. He started the committee to get Animal Crackers re-released. Did you get it yet? Not not, he hasn't started working for you yet
0: <laughs> did did can you do her when she found out Groucho had a stroke that crazy reaction she had oh,
1: Lord <laughs> well that did, yes, what happened it was uh I showed up for work and I had just gotten used to the fact that I was working inside groucho Marx's house and was feeling really comfortable and up and the the uh, maid answered the door and said, "Please be quiet. Mister Marx has had a stroke." And I thought, "Oh man, it's gonna—it's all coming to an end." And uh, they led me into his bedroom, and I expected him to be lying there near death. And instead, he was propped up in bed in, in his uh, PJs and mucklucks, reading the paper. He said, "Is the ambulance here yet?" I said, "Not yet." It figures. And uh, and then not long after that, Aaron Fleming. Came in and checked the scene out and stormed off screaming fuck, <laughs> and slammed the door. And she was angry because it was her birthday and oh, there was right. supposed to be a party at Groucho's house because of Aaron's birthday. And she accused him of having the stroke on purpose to upstage her birthday party. And after the the ambulance left, she came into my little office at the house. And, you know, I said, you think he's going to be OK? Do I think he's going to be OK? He does this for attention. And I said, Aaron, are you saying that he had his stroke on purpose? And it was like, how could you be so naive? He does this. He does this just to get attention. And uh, she got exasperated with me and left, which was fine with me. And he bounced back from that, and I ended up working there for another, like, two and a half years. But I thought, you know, the jig was up.
2: So if we, we should also r- remind our listeners, too, that, uh, that there's a, a movie in the works based on your book, Raised eyebrows. There is. And uh, first of all, give us the update on that. I was, it just suddenly occurred to me that <laughs> I'm picturing the day that you have auditions and you have to audition actresses to, to play Aaron and how interesting that's going to be for you. But tell us what's happening.
1: Well, uh, let's see. It's going to be directed by Rob Zombie, mm-hmm. even though that seems like a strange choice. Uh, in fact, he read the book when it first came out and he loved it. And he said, this is just the kind of thing I've been looking for to get away from horror for a while. And ours has been just the, the most remarkably smooth collaboration uh, I've ever encountered. Uh, this, the long and winding road through development and finding a home for it. But uh, we hope to start uh, the casting process in the very near future. And Rob would like to film it this year. So uh, it's going to be surreal. Oh, it's exciting. It is. It is. Um, it's frustrating how long things take to, to reach fruition. I got – I was complaining about it in a letter to Woody Allen and he wrote back and said, don't gripe about the time element. That will take care of itself. Be grateful – that your story hasn't been taken from you and given to imbeciles to destroy. Wow. And he's right. He's right. The time thing that ends up not mattering and I'm very grateful that they've remained true to the story and haven't said, oh, here's what we could do with it. We could just use this as as a as a launching point and then have Groucho and then do all sorts of wild, crazy stuff. But instead they've they've really cared about remaining true to my book, which is very flattering. So the screenplay is completed and, and – The screenplay is completed. I wrote the initial draft and then Oren Moverman mm-hmm. who worked on that um, Brian Wilson film. Oh, uh, 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 Love and Mercy. Right. was terrific. And um, a number of other excellent motion pictures. He, he worked on it and it still remains true to the initial story that I hammered out on my little machine. So the script is done and it moves forward which is better than not moving forward or moving backward. Yeah. And uh and it's going to be very very strange to see someone playing me when I was 20. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh no one, I mean no one but my, you know, my sister and a few friends will will be able to say he didn't look exactly like that when he was 20. But um, it's going to be very strange because it's the three main characters are the old Groucho and ambitious younger Aaron and then Steve, naive young 20-year-old Steve. And it you know it's mostly what the, the goings-on inside the house. It's not a biography of Groucho right, sure. any more than Ed Wood was a biography of uh, Bela Lugosi.
2: Speaking of Ed Wood, uh, Scott and Larry – did you know, Gil? Oh, you remember we had yeah. Scott and Larry oh, on the yes. show and they've yeah.
1: got a Marx Brothers biopic that, you know about this, Steve? I do, yeah. They wrote it some years ago. Yeah. And, um, and so weren't able to get all of the elements assembled for it. right? But uh, yeah, they were heavily into that and had high hopes for it. But um, this is, you know, this is completely different because this is only about Groucho's twilight years and it doesn't. Pretend to be any kind of comprehensive story of his life.
0: Gil, are you here? C- what? Yeah. Can you do an <laughs> imitation He's <still> here. of. <laughs> I, I forget her name. Gloria. Gloria Stewart? <laughs> Gloria Stewart. Oh my gosh. She was the old lady an from she, Titanic. Who was, or... was she married
1: to? Was she married to. She was married to Arthur Sheikman, who, who was one of Groucho's oldest friends and who worked on monkey business and duck soup. And she would come to lunch there, and Groucher would say, Gloria Sheikman's coming to lunch today. And I didn't realize at the time that that was the same woman who co-starred The with Invisible Man. The Invisible Man right. and with Karloff in The Old Dark House. Oh, she's house. in The Old Dark House, right. And uh, a couple of Shirley Temple films. Yeah, I wish I had realized that at the time because I would have asked her about James Whale and Karloff and— Claude Rains and all those wonderful Universal people.
2: Let's talk a little bit about the new Blu-ray. You and I were, were talking, and we wanted to do another another episode with you. And uh, the the Paramount films, the five Paramount films were released. You you were of course involved in the uh, in the resurgence and the the rescue of Animal Crackers, right? But the five uh, the five Paramount films were just released on Blu-ray. They look terrific. I was watching them this weekend. A couple of our friends are on there: Leonard Malton and and Dick Cavett and Larry and Scott. Um, I, I'm, I'm learning so much about the Marx brothers. I thought I knew everything about the Marx brothers. I, I didn't know that, that Zeppo, for instance, did not really get a say in the decision-making that he was not, he was not an equal partner, which I found interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I used to have a, uh, a contract from the mid twenties that, uh, renewed the coconuts stage version for another year. And even in that he was getting less money and it talked about, uh, if he were to not be part of it, so even early on there were rumblings that you know he wasn't seen as an equal Marx brother, even though he was on on Broadway and in the five Paramount films.
2: Did, did that have something to do with uh, with him stepping aside? I mean, it, they, the story that you get is that Minnie kind of forced him into it. That it was that Zeppo got into it because it was a family obligation, and when Minnie and Frenchie were were gone, he, did, he felt no obligation to continue.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I mean, Gummo was the straight man th- in vaudeville and then he left to be in World War I. so they needed someone to play the younger juvenile straight role. So Zeppo was Gummo was drafted in, in, into the army and Zeppo was drafted into the act. And uh, I don't think he was ever happy doing it. I don't think he was ever comfortable in front of the camera. And then once he left after uh, Duck Soup, he became really one of the top-notch agents in in Hollywood and represented Gable and Lombard and Lana Turner and Barbara Stanwyck and Robert Taylor. So he did okay.
0: He always seemed in the movies like perfectly likable. Yes. But uh, even as a kid, I would think, well, what is he actually doing here? (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's only when it's only when he's subtracted from from the quartet that you miss him. Absolutely, when he's replaced yeah. By Kenny yeah. Kenny Baker and Tony Martin and uh, oh, uh, Alan, Alan Jones, Alan Jones. Yeah. That you start wishing that Zeppa were still there, if only to say, you know, I represent the captain who insists on my informing you of these conditions under which he comes here.
0: We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this.
2: And now back to the show. There is, um, yeah, there is a story though. It's it's funny. Maybe it foreshadows him becoming an agent. There's a story in the documentary on the Blu-ray about Zeppo going to the uh, the suits at Paramount and actually getting them more money.
1: You know this story? I do because I'm in the documentary. Uh, that by I should t- t- mention that in addition to. The five Paramount films all looking better than they had. They look great. Including Animal Crackers having some footage restored uh, that had been edited out for uh, the reissue after the Hayes office had made things tougher on, on uh, suggestive dialogue and that sort of thing. Um, they found a print of it in a British film archive and uh, were able to include that. But in addition to the films, there's a really nice documentary called uh, The Marx Brothers, Hollywood Kings of Kings Chaos. Of chaos, yeah. And uh, Cavett and Malton and Larry and Scott Bill and Andy Marx and myself.
2: Oh, I uh, didn't I didn't watch the whole thing, so I didn't see you. I apologize. Okay, I Well, watched I think the first we, 30 minutes.
1: I think that brings us to the end of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terribly – no, I am towards the end chronologically because uh, that's how they did the – thing so i'm brought in t- to talk about groucho's last years which i witnessed mm-hmm.
0: now what is, what's your opinion on on animal crackers my opinion yeah cuz i mean i i i saw it when it was re-released and it's got great moments hysterical it's moments a little stagey. And, and classic yeah but i well i kind of felt like it could be cut down to a half hour or something of the really great stuff in it
1: well with coconuts and animal crackers you're dealing with the film versions of stage plays you're also dealing with sound films before the boom was used so they had to have stationary microphones and the brothers had to be near the microphones in order to be picked up. And they couldn't—they weren't really free to race around the stage until Monkey Business and Horse Feathers. And I, it's true. There's some wonderful material in Animal Crackers. There's some great routines. But it does feel a bit stiff. And, you, you know, the camera's following people as they walk downstairs or walk into another room or something like that. And you, you feel a little bit like get on with it.
0: And there are moments where, like, there's the plot of, you know, whatever, the jewel robbery. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the a love scene. And then following that with, like, a duet between the two lovers, and they'd be long moments of no Marx yeah. Brothers. Well, but also you
1: have to bear in mind that in, in – musical comedies on Broadway in the 20s that was it was expected that there would be these interludes where the lovers would look at each other and sing about how much they love each other and then they would walk off and then the Marx brothers would come back and tear the place up so it is it's tough retroactively yeah. to think here's what we'd like to do with this cuz you you know the movie came out in 1930 and so it's easy to get impatient with the pace and and it does As you said, it picks up markedly when they come to Hollywood and do Monkey Business, Horse Feathers, and Duck Soup, which is like that golden trio of them at their
2: best. Just mana from heaven. What's amazing is that they were shooting coconuts in Astoria by
1: day and doing animal crackers on stage at night, driving into the city. I noticed that in the Wyaduk routine, There's several times when Groucho starts to call Chico Ravel. He does. He stops himself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He goes, now look, now look, uh, now look here. Yeah. And, you know, he's pointing at the map and showing him where the jewels are buried and all that. And it's because the Wyaduck routine is essentially, it was essentially redone as the left handed moth's routine in Animal Crackers. And it must have been very easy for Groucho. To shift into that that dialogue since he was doing one during the day and then another show at night yeah. for the camera. And I
0: heard when they did the wire duck, because uh, of those old uh, mics, mm-hmm. that when they moved the map around, it would make so much noise that they eventually soaked the map That's in true. water.
1: It's true. Right. You can see it. It looks really limp and... It, it, it when groucho takes the map out to show him where the jewels are buried it's it's a weird it's a weird thing because it it doesn't behave like normal paper and yes it's because when they tried doing it initially and then listened to it you get I'm trying to look a valley. There's a, and they realized all this rustling of paper was drowning out the dialogue so they had to improvise and and wet it down the paper so that it wouldn't Upstage the Marx Brothers.
2: It's interesting, too, that they changed Groucho's character's name slightly. I think it was, was it Schlammer? And then he became Mr. Hammer in Coconuts. But Gilbert, you'll appreciate this. Chico's name in the stage production was Willie the Wop.
0: Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I can't imagine why anyone would have a problem.
2: I can't imagine.
1: (laughs) And you know, even at 29, they knew to change it. You know, know the, the scenes where Groucho uh, makes jokes about the titles of songs like Somewhere My Love Lies Sleeping yeah. with the Male Chorus. In the stage version, he also says, um, a play I'm looking at the world through colored Rosie's glasses and all I see are black specks. I can't oh. imagine that anyone would have a problem with, it, with colored Rosie's glasses either. So, yeah, they made modifications.
0: And in, in Duck Soup, Chico was... Uh Uh, Gary the Guinea. No, he was not.
2: (laughs) 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 They do look good. I apologize for not staying with the doc. I fell asleep, Steve, because it was two in the morning. But, uh... Yeah, but that's only 11 o'clock my time. Yeah, exactly. What's my excuse? They do look terrific.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, people who feel like they... It's like, well, I've already got it on DVD. I don't need to get that. There is a, a substantial difference in the quality plus the restored footage to Animal Crackers and then uh, the documentary by Constantine Nazar who who's done a lot of documentaries. He did a wonderful one on Val Luton about the you know the horror film or oh, oh, sure. KO that Val Luton did. It's terrific.
2: There's also two segments on the Today Show that I have never seen. There's Harpo on the, right. on the Today Show in I believe 61 – 2 years, I think two years so. before graduation and then there's and then Groucho's on there in 63 very very strange have you seen these it's groucho with you downs and uh, the, and the and the host of the today show uh, it's uh, a very short snippet but it's a fascinating curio
0: now uh, what do you think you know i think it like after day at the races mm-hmm. they really dropped tremendously yeah. in quality well the purists
1: And I consider myself one of those. The purists maintain that any given Paramount film is better than their best MGM film. No question. Which would mean coconuts and – you can put coconuts and animal crackers up against Night at the Opera, which is a lot of people's favorite Marx Brothers movie. Mm -hmm. But I feel uh, that they really became tamed when they went over to MGM and they were sort of – they weren't as crazy – and they really seem to care a lot about getting the lovers together. I mean there was there was love interest in in coconuts and animal crackers, but you got the feeling that they didn't really give a shit, that it was going on in a parallel story to them tearing the place up. yes, but in in the MGM films, gosh, they're really concerned about making sure that justice prevails and he gets the girl. and even even though there's a lot to love about a Night at the Opera. There's just something about that, that the sort of homogenization of the, of the craziness of the Marx
0: brothers. I was and very disappointed when I first saw A Night at the Opera. Because of that? Uh, yeah, I, I felt like there was that. They were tamed. Yeah. They were put on a leash. They made Harpo yeah. into a
2: victim. They made Harpo. Oh, yes. they, they bullied Harpo. So Harpo went from being an anarchist. In, into to where, having yeah. to
1: pay for his anarchy. And as Joe Adamson pointed out in his excellent Groucho, Harpo, Chico and sometimes Zeppo examination of book. the films, wonderful book, uh, he said, you know, instead of Harpo just pulling a pair of shears out of his pocket for no reason, he has to find them sitting on a shelf somewhere. Yeah. It has to make sense. It it can't just be this crazy. How could he pull a steaming cup of coffee out of his pocket? He has to see it sitting somewhere. And so it loses the craziness. But Groucho was very pleased with the fact that Night at the Opera and Day at the Races were their biggest money makers, And there was enormous prestige with going over from Paramount to MGM at the time, because that was just the, you know, the, the Rolls Royce of movie studios. But in retrospect, in terms of You know the the anarchy that the baby boomers embraced in the '60s and '70s. The Paramount films just seem so much fresher, even even with the staginess of the first two. the material is looser, and they're just a lot more fun and less. Instead of having one foot stapled to the ground, like
2: and the surrealism was lost. I think of the the dog coming out of the doghouse in Harpo's tattoo in Duck Soup. Yeah, something that MGM would never have allowed. and,
0: And I also thought like in opera and races you there were pauses where you could put a laugh track in after each line that was said
1: well that see some people look at that as the genius of Irving Thalberg and others look at it as the beginning of the end because Thalberg when Irving Thalberg the the head of production at MGM signed the Marx brothers He said, I'm going to make a picture with you guys that's going to have half as many laughs and make twice as much money. And he was right. And and the way they did that was by taking certain scenes out on the road and doing them in front of live audiences so they could time how long to allow before the dialogue starts up again because – uh, Thalberg's complaint was in the Paramount films you miss half the jokes because the audience is laughing over them because the things that you know those movies are like seventy two minutes long you forget how how short Paramount comedies were same with Fields same with May sure. West but MGM built in those those gaps those beats for the audience to laugh but if you're looking at it. At home, or there's no one else in the theater for some strange reason, you wonder why. It's like, come on, get on with it. And that was it. It was to, it was it, because they had scientifically timed those sequences to allow for audience laughter.
2: And assumedly, if Thalberg didn't die, if he didn't suffer an untimely death, they would have continued at MGM? I think— Because the two, film, the two films were, were so profitable, even though Mayer had it out for them.
1: Right. And, uh, you know, I don't know to what degree— They would have been making wonderful films because I I still think that opera and races already shows the downhill slide. Sure, sure. Plus plus it's also after the Hayes office, the Hayes code kicked in. So I think a lot – you couldn't – a lot of the things that Groucho joked about in the Paramount films were frowned upon after 34. So you're also fighting against that homogenization of material – but it would have been better for them if Thalberg hadn't died, and it probably would have been better for Thalberg if he hadn't died.
2: Are there any? <laughs> are there any of the uh, post MGM films, be it Go West or Night in Casablanca or At the Circus? Are, are there any of them that you can that you can get through? I mean, the, the, there are moments <clears throat> at, yeah. at the Circus That's has Lydia, is- of
1: course. Right, there's moments in in all of them. There's none that are a complete washout. Although Love Happy, yeah, pretty comes close. A case could be made. Plus, they're getting older, and you're you're looking at Marx Brothers in their sixties trying to be impish, childlike creatures, and it kind of doesn't work. But you can you could excerpt. You know, going back to what Gilbert said about let's just edit it down to a half yeah. hour and have a really slick thing. You could take sequences. From the later films, from Room Service and at the Circus and Go West and Big Store and Night in Casablanca, and and put it together and show it to someone such that they say. That, there's a lot of funny stuff in that. How come people don't like the movie? And it's like, well, because I cut out Tony Martin singing Tenement Symphony. <laughs> and I, I cut out Kenny Baker singing Two Blind Loves. You just want to reach through the TV and strangle Agreed. it. The t- when I was 12 I just, and, and you would just
2: watch them all together, I didn't know the difference. I mean, of course, I knew, you know, I, the Hackenbush, the, the Lydia, the Tattooed Lady, there was always something there. Except for Love Happy. Love, Even love as a kid, ha- I knew Love Happy was shit.
0: Love Happy is <laughs> surreal.
1: Yeah.
2: It's just... Well, Groucho's talking in this Today Show clip about how bad it was.
1: Yeah. He's talking about Marilyn well, Monroe. He well, was, he was no fool. I mean, he knew which the good ones and the bad. I mean, I mentioned in in Raised Eyebrows, I talk about how he came to the lunch table one day and just looking a little bit upset, and he said... "Uh." Whatever made Bazell think he could direct pictures? I <laughs> <laughs> was like, and still pissed it, off about Go West. And it was like he had just come from the set of Go West in 1940. <laughs> and uh, Ed, Eddie Bazell was the director of At the Circus and and uh, Go West. And he had been a vaudevillian song and dance man that then became kind of a, I don't know, a workman workmanlike uh, director at MGM doing musicals and comedies. But Groucho, it was just like it just all over again upset him. It's funny that Bazell was put in charge of those things.
0: And Harpo was starting to look like a homeless person.
1: Yeah, yeah. He in in the night in Casablanca, he has an even shorter, kind of white haired wig, which which somehow emphasizes the fact that he's you know sixty ish, and. Uh, it's just uh, – th- that's why Groucho had the wisdom to grow old in front of the camera. He ditched the grease paint mustache and eyebrows and, and grew his own mustache and had that whole second career as as the host of You Bet Your Life and as – basically as himself for the rest of his career. Harpo and Chico went on the road in, in Vegas and, and different countries uh, – you know, doing their zany jack for for audiences that love seeing them in person. But yeah, there is something I think kind of at best bittersweet or poignant when you see photos or clips of them from the 50s. Mm. You see that in that in that box set on the Marx Brothers on TV. There's a lot of wonderful stuff in there, but the clock is ticking oh, sure. on on Harpo and Chico. But Groucho, you know, he was just sort of hitting his stride as a solo act when the other two were still clinging to their – the characters that they'd been doing since the 20s. Well, oh,
2: people oh. forget too. They made their their film
1: debut in their 40s. Essentially, yeah. yeah Groucho was 39. Yeah. Zepa was only in his 30s. Yeah. But yeah. And
0: yes, I Gilbert. remember in <laughs> – yes, I, I see – there's a there, – Mr. Gottfried has a question yeah, the man, the, in the back. <laughs> Uh, and in, in Day at the Races, where they break into it's Gabriel. Who
1: dat man? Yeah, it's weird. Who dat man? <laughs> boop, 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 boop,
0: boop, boop. But
1: in all the films they made, which is 13, which isn't that many... Um, all God's Chillin' Got Rhythm is the only thing that was ever nominated for an Academy Award. Bizarre. It was oh, nominated geez. for Best Dance Director. Yeah, of all the things the Marx Brothers did, you think about the brilliance of Duck Soup and all those other great sequences and great performances. The only thing that the Academy ever paid any attention to was the who that man, Gabriel, sequence with all the happy dancing black people in the barnyard, which for some reason people these days have a problem
0: with. <laughs> I can't understand that. And I, I heard that n- the great Nat Hyken wanted to write a movie for the Marx Brothers. Oh, yes. Nat Hyken of, of, uh, Bar 54. of 54 and oh, Car- Bilko
1: And yeah. Bilko, yeah.
0: He, he at one point wanted to write a Marx
1: Brothers movie. I didn't know about that, so I, I can't speak to that. Oh, can you make something up?
0: Oh, sure. <laughs> well,
1: Nat Hyken figured if Nat Perrin could write for him <laughs> that the names are so similar. Nats. You got two Nats and an E-N at the end. You're halfway there. <laughs> how much, Just how much of a
2: completist are you, Steve? Have you watched the story of mankind?
1: Yes, I've watched the story of mankind Where where – Erwin uh, Irwin, Irwin Allen. Allen didn't have the wisdom to put the three of them, Marx Brothers, in the same thing. But Irwin Allen was a longtime friend of Groucho's, and I met him at a at couple of Groucho's parties. And I remember finding a copy of Groucho's deposition from his last divorce from Eden Marx. And in it, uh, Eden's attorney says, uh, are you familiar with a man named Irwin Allen? Yes, I am. And what is his profession? He's a pimp. <laughs> he just he just puts that in, in there. For, I mean, that wasn't going to be heard by anyone or seen by anyone. But that was his answer. That's
2: fantastic.
1: A, do you guys want to do a little uh, a little
2: crooning, a little duet, like the old days?
1: Uh, what the old days? Yeah. Yes. Uh, what uh, What were you thinking? Well.
2: uh, Does uh, does the song from Horse Feathers mean anything to you? Because I have some lyrics here for Gilbert. And you guys did did such a wonderful job with Hello, I
1: Must Be Going the last time we got together. Right. Not to be confused with Hello, I Must Be Garing. That's right. Which was a (laughs) (laughs) completely completely different different vibe to that. They
0: sang that at the Nuremberg Trials. They did.
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. Spencer Tracy and Montgomery Clift in and around saying, they <laughs> said my mother was feeble-minded. She doesn't look feeble-minded, does she? What, uh,
2: if, what if we did a little duet here and each one <laughs> of you guys took a, a, a different section of this and, All right. and, and we did, a, we did a, your, your, your various grouchos at various stages?
1: Did I tell you that when Bob Whitey and Joe Adamson, after they interviewed Risk and – Uh, for Marx Brothers in a nutshell. They were wrapping up the equipment, and Riskin said, I don't understand these kids with their protest songs. I don't like war. I don't need war. I hate war. Nobody likes war, Bob. And Bob is thinking, it's 1981. <laughs> no one is singing protest songs, Mr. See, we are the world. You've been harboring this grudge since the mid-1960s.
2: I don't like war. That's I don't a, want so he does war. Maury Riskin, he does Nat Perrin, and he does Zeppo, and he does, and and he does Perelman. Perelman. And,
0: he, and you do Rondo Hatton. Sure, just don't
1: scream. She's so pretty. Don't hurt her. <laughs> I wanna, You're my friend, and I, I don't want you
0: to hurt the girl.
2: So, uh, you'll, Steve, you'll start us off as slightly younger Groucho, and each one of you can do a stanza.
1: Everyone says I love you, but just what they say it for I never knew. It's just inviting trouble for the poor
0: sucker who says I love you. Take a pair of rabbits who get stuck on each other and begin to woo. And pretty soon you'll find a million more rabbits who... Say, I love you. When
1: the lion gets feeling frisky and begins to roar, there's another lion who knows just what he's roaring for.
0: Every stink that ever grew, the goose and the gander and the gosling too, Rugs the duck upon the, the water when, when he, feels he feels that way too says, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: he even
2: gave you the duck ending from Horse Feathers. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Nice work, guys. Hey, Steve. Is it true? Yes. And Gilbert will love no. this. Is it true no. that Gilbert danced on Hitler's uh, on the site of Hitler's bunker in 1964? Gilbert, yes. that Gilbert, no, Gilbert danced on. <laughs> I, I,
0: I, I'm telling you, I'm aging beautifully. <laughs> is it
1: is what? It, is it true that
2: what Julius kind of a it?
0: dance did
1: Gil? What kind of a dance did you do on Hitler's? <laughs> day? Did, the, did I say Gilbert? Yes, you did. Oh God, I'm tired. Is it true? It's that, is true. it true that Groucho did it? True. That Groucho danced a jig on Hitler's grave. Isn't that comforting? So great was his ill feeling.
0: And I I heard he said something about it. He goes like, I was never much of a dancer, but I was great that day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, sure it's fair to credit it's unf- it, it, go ahead and knock Hitler when the man's not here to defend himself. Steve, this was fun. Tell us again, uh the book, the audio uh, audiobook, the audio book is available, uh also the Kindle floor mat on uh, Amazon and if someone wants to buy Assigned or inscribed copy of the paperback, they can go to my website, www.stevestoliar.com, and I'll be more than happy to
0: accommodate you. Fantastic. And and now, one part of the book that we we didn't get to, uh, you said that Sig (laughs) Ruman. Yeah, Sig Ruman. He was insane. Here he goes. Here he goes. (laughs) Yes. To Margaret Dumont. There he goes to shit on him. <laughs> That's correct. He said, Marguerite Dumont, you drive me crazy with your shapeliness. How much money would it take for you to take a dump on on my Kopf, which is my head? And oh, well, this is called this is <laughs> which we discussed previous to that, and she would not accommodate."
1: my perverse request for some reason <laughs> I don't know what it was
0: I don't know why she didn't do that because I heard I heard that she was you know a real sport but not that night someone asked Groucho oh, got it out. <laughs> why Margaret Dumont shit on Sheik Roman and he said because Sheikho needed the money there we
1: go <laughs> It's not true that Chico needed the money. He doesn't need it now because he's dead.
2: <laughs> Show me one other podcast giving, giving you people the the sick rumen impressions and the and the Nat parent impressions. We deliver for our fans. Steve, thank you, buddy. My pleasure, guys. This was a treat. We'll talk again. Keep us okay. keep us posted on everything.
1: I shall.
0: Well, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santopadre. And uh, this has been another edition of Gilbert and Frank's Amazing Colossal Obsessions with Steve Stoliar. Thank you, on... Steve. My pleasure. You
1: are the best. uh hell. Talk to you soon.
0: questions. <laughs> <laughs>